1: Really interesting, mate. Yeah. Welcome listeners to another episode of The Extra Inch I'm Windy and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend Bardi Hello Windy And our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark Hello mate And we might sound a bit different, um, we're experimenting today We are on Skype, so we found it easier to arrange a date to record via Skype It means we don't have to go into Central And it also gives Cave the day off from recording us Um, So you might hear a few different things, so I live under a flight path, I apologise in advance if you hear planes, but we'll just see how this goes. It's a bit of an experiment, and we might do it again, we might not, we'll see how this one runs. Uh, We're going to review the season, really, and I think we've got several questions to answer in in the context of the season we've just had. But before we begin, we are going to run a little competition. So we got in touch with Spurs Statman, because we wanted to use some of his statistics um, more on those shortly... And while we were chatting, he said he'd like to give us some socks to give away, which sounds odd. Uh, You may have noticed, though, that he's running um, a, a sort of shop on his Spurs Statman site. And he's selling socks from Retro Spurs kits, the yellow ones from a 1991 away kit, and white ones from the 2015 home kit. And they're really nice and been very popular. And he's kindly giving us a pair to give away. You can get your hands on those by leaving us a review on iTunes. And the review we like most will
2: win the socks, basically. So say nice things about us and you'll win socks. That um, yellow 1991 kit is one of my favourite all-time Spurs kits. It's a beautiful one. It's a wicked kit, isn't it? The design's slightly odd, but it works in a quirky way. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, should we should we just go straight into it? We're going to talk first, generally, I think, about the season. Um, kind of what went well, what didn't go so well. We kind of feel that a lot of podcasts have already touched on um, picking out key moments and picking out the best player and that kind of thing. So we don't want to retread old ground. But, I mean, there are some things we can say. So we came third in the league. We exited the League Cup in the fourth round to West Ham. The FA Cup, obviously, in the semi-final to Man U. Champions League got to the round of 16. We had some... Impressive games, some less impressive games, some good runs of form, some less good runs of form. But what are your thoughts generally about the season? We'll start with Bardi.
2: Um Well, it's a strange one. I spoke about this on the fighting cock that we finished third in a season where many of us, many people, expected us to underperform at Wembley. And I've come away from this season almost with a sense of what could have been. There was opportunities where we missed. Um, the we missed a chance to take three points against teams early on in the season, like Swansea and Burnley, which I think sets back in our kind of momentum and then there was the cup games against United and Juventus, which even now still kind of leave a, still quite hard to swallow and hard results to take because it was it wasn't so much um a bad result it was almost like a breaking down of our team, and it was our failings as a as a squad were kind of exposed, so that's why they're quite hard to take even though the season has been overall quite positive. Would you it's agree sort of with that,
3: Nath? Yeah, it sort of feels um, a bit like a, a season of mild stagnation, but that's happened in a season where there's been so much that could have been hugely negative, such as playing at Wembley and the injuries, long-term injuries we've had to key players. And I think, you know... To have not completely fallen apart for any one of those reasons um, is impressive in its own. And then when you add the the fun we had in the Champions League on top of that, it's, it, we, although that was a while ago now and it feels a bit distant, it's been a it's been a really good season.
1: I don't know if I'm right in saying this, but without researching, it feels to me as though we've had more injuries and certainly more injuries to key players than we've had at any point under Pochettino's reign so far, and. I don't think he's really changed a great deal about what he's done. Uh, So I I wonder if perhaps this is just a case of players finally starting to feel the Pochettino regime in their legs or is it that we're getting old? We've got players who are ageing and and therefore more susceptible. Do you have a feel at all about why the injuries might have started cropping up, Nathan?
3: Uh, Not with sort of really going off on one and being a bit sort of flat earth society. Um, Yeah, I mean, in his first season, there were no injuries at all. And there was a sense of oh he's he's fixed injuries forever, and now we're sort of creeping towards the opposite extreme. And you wonder if there's sort of if there's sort of long term effects of playing his brand of football. Um, I mean, I don't want to say that there is. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Just that there's a slight nagging worry that that is the case.
2: I mean, the, the injuries to Kane, his last, um, I think his what well, his last two injuries have all been impact injuries. So there's nothing really to worry too much there. But um, I think where the injuries really took their toll on us this season is they stopped us from playing the formation that was so successful for us the previous season. Losing um, kind of forced our hand into going into a back four and also because um, the loss of Danny Rose as well. Ben Davies, uh, Kieran Trippier, we've seen they're not that comfortable um, as wing-backs. So I, I think the injuries, even though they haven't been so great, they have been in key areas which has had a big effect on us. I totally agree with that, and I think we were kind of unfortunate that at the same time
1: that Alderweireld was out, Wanyama was also out. So even if he'd wanted to drop Dyer back into the the defence to make a back three and play Wanyama in midfield, he couldn't do that. So we were kind of... It was very unfortunate that injuries in in key areas were cropping up together rather than one at a time. Um, We also had the release of Pochettino's book... Which was, it came out in late October and around that time Spurs lost three and drew one from five games in the Premier League. Which kind of hints to me that there was something going on. I don't know if it was fully book related or just time of year related. But it it almost seemed to be that when the book came out, eyes went off the ball a little bit. I mean, perhaps it could have been just that he was fulfilling obligations and promoting it. So perhaps he took his eye off the ball. Or if it caused a bit of uncertainty amongst the squad. Do you have a feel, Bardi, at all about whether that had an impact?
2: I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I'm going to take like a wild guess here. I've got no stats to back this up. But didn't we have a little bit of a funk in October the season before? I don't know whether it's a common thing that happens. But I don't think, I don't think our players sat down and read a whole book in three weeks and um, got an issue with it. Or that they read extracts of it that were well publicised. I don't think I don't think a book really has that much of an effect. Yeah, I tend
1: to agree. I think my biggest disappointment this season for me was the um, the League Cup exit to West Ham because it was so avoidable that that three two defeat and we looked so comfortable at the time. Um, and also, I feel like if you if we progressed in that match, it would have been another opportunity to play some of our young players and give them more big game experience. So it was a pity from that perspective. But there was plenty to to enjoy in the season. Certainly, the Champions League campaign against some amazing teams, and there's some incredible memories there. Um, you know, Harry Winks bossing things at the, uh, the Bernabeu was majestic. He um, in those two matches against Real Madrid, he had an average of 90.3 passing accuracy, which was quite staggering for such a young player who'd not really experienced such such big games. I think he was actually man of the match in the away in the away leg. Um,
2: so there, there are lots of things that will stand out in my memory in years to come I'm sure Yeah I would like just to touch on the Champions League again because at the time sometimes when it's happening you get too kind of focused on it and you don't have time to reflect on it but looking back there were some big performances there the Dortmund away when we were 1-0 down and we came back to win it and then after a terrible start where Juventus where teams of old would have crumbled and other big European teams have crumbled after a bad start like that to be able to come back and get a 2-2 draw out of that by not lumping the ball forward but sticking to our plan and our philosophy. That is it showed a lot of mental strength there. So it's even, overall it was disappointing to go out in the way we went out but there are some, definitely some big positives to take and if you look at the progression from the year before it's definitely been a huge step forward. Cool, so looking at some of the stats from the season um, that Spurs Statman
1: posted on the Twitter feed Do you know what? I'll just read straight through them. So the first one is Tottenham dropped just four points from winning positions in the 2017-18 Premier League season, fewer than any other side in the division.
3: I think when you look at the narrative surrounding Spurs and the way that that narrative has been exacerbated by results in Champions League uh, and in cup competitions, um, that that would be sort of disguised. Um, But we are a team who like to dominate games and once we've Taken a grasp of the game and scored, it's very hard to wrestle the game out of our hands.
2: Would you go along with that, Bardy? Yeah, I think so. I'm, you know, I've just been trying to rack my brains to think who those four points were. I think it was maybe Burnley, and but I'm struggling to think of the other the other games where we lost winning positions. I mean, that's a good sign.
1: Mm-hmm. Four points, four points lost from winning positions isn't isn't something we need to worry about, and it, it does make complete sense. Um, like Nathan says, that we 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 take control of games and we strangle the opposition team. So yeah, that kind of stacked up to me. Um, the next one is Spurs had 267 attempts at goal from outside the box in the 2017 18 season, more than any other Premier League side.
3: Yes, a lot. Um, analytics people, of which I sort of just about include myself as one, will look at that and say. They're shooting from outside the box too much, and that they can cut down on that and look at recycling the ball more um, and I do think that's true to an extent, but I also think that it is just sort of a part of some of the more positive things about Spurs um in that we have our players are injected with the freedom to take risks to express themselves, and part of that will come will will come with with lots of long shots, and we do score a few from the outside of the box as well, so it's not bad.
2: Yeah, it's also a side effect. I guess, side effect, I guess, of teams sitting deep against us. It does kind of warrant itself to shoot from outside the box. But if you've got players of the technique of Eriksson and Kane, then um, and I, even Lucas Moura, who's shown in the kind of few cameos he's had, he can really hit a ball. Then uh, it's not a too, such a bad thing. I'd quite like to see the um, the accuracy rate from from those
1: attempts and see whether we actually hit a target a lot because. My perception is we're not great at shooting from outside the box. So, although we have a lot of attempts, I would estimate that we're not one of the most
2: accurate teams. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty sure Spurs have always been quite high on attempts outside the box. A lot of that used to kind of get pinned on Andros Townsend, but um, we are a team that does like a does like to hit one. Sure. So no side registered more attempts at goal following counter
3: attacks than Tottenham, 19, joint with Liverpool in the 2017-18 Premier League season. I think that is one where I would want to find out. I think that's Opta, so I'd want to find out what Opta's definition of a counter-attack is because my suspicion is that um, Liverpool, who turn the ball over high up the pitch, are doing what I would call counter-attacking, but it's not being registered as that. But that's still a positive sign for Spurs that we have that side to our game when we're predominantly a possession-based side.
2: And it's also, we're not the fastest team going forward, but I think we're one of the fastest of thought. When um, Ali, uh, Eriksen, Kane and Son, when they when they turn in the defence, there's there's an intelligence in the way they move the ball that kind of makes up for the fact that they're not kind of Salah, Mane, Firmino kind of speed. So I was just
3: going to say the ball is faster than any player.
2: Yep. There's, I, I don't know if you remember the, the film Goal. Did you ever watch that film? <laughs>
3: like when... once years ago. <laughs> Where
2: the Arsene, the Arsene Wenger type manager who takes control of Newcastle gets the Santi, I think his name is, and his first lesson was like run to the goal, and then he kicks the ball, and he, that's what he tells him. You see, the board is faster than the man. It was the only thing that stuck in my head from that film. That might have
3: been where I've lifted that from, Jesus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um, I don't if you ever if anyone ever gets a chance. This isn't my further reading, by the way. But um, <laughs> if if you finish the trilogy because they did actually make a trilogy of it, they <laughs> don't. Run, They they run out of money towards the end of the film, so they actually just cut and pasted footage from um, England's game against Ecuador in the 2006 World Cup, <laughs> <laughs> and super superimposed the two. Um, the two uh, main characters from the film into the into that footage. It's really bad, but really worth watching. Ugh, I feel like I need to waste an hour ha- of my life searching for this now. You have to because um, he comes on for Joe Cole and he scores. <laughs> he scores the free kick. I think that Beckham scores, and they've superimposed his face <laughs> on Beckham. And Joe Cole is still on the pitch celebrating because they haven't they haven't done the continuity. They haven't cut him out. So it's it's it's, it's fascinating. Well worth watching. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to bring this back to stats. Uh, only, <laughs>
1: only Liverpool 44 and Chelsea 42 received fewer yellow cards than Tottenham 50 in the 2017-18 Premier League season.
3: That's surprising, I think, because we are a pretty physical side. We've come a long way from being soft and being the gentle good guys. Um, so if I was going to attribute that to anything... Um, I would say that we sort of intelligently raise the acceptable level of physicality in a game so that when um, Lamella does sort of bundle into a player, that's sort of seen as fine and not a foul when in other games it probably would have been.
2: Hmm. I think like Alley' is nearly responsible for 10% of those yellow cards. Yeah. Yeah, his
1: his spite levels have been maintained throughout the season, it's fair to say. I think partly as well when being absent for large periods of the season would have helped that um the number of yellow cards in total because he's he's one that tends to tends to give a few fouls away on the edge of the box and tends to pick up yellows as a result of that. But I think Nathan's right, it's kind of over
3: time if you <laughs>
1: did you say raise the acceptable level of fouls Is that the phrase you use? something like that?
3: Yeah, just sort of rides challenges out don't call for fouls early in the game sort of just push the 50-50s a little bit for the, continually for the first 10 minutes of the game and then you, the ref accepts the atmosphere of it being a physical game I totally agree with that I, I can really see that in Spurs and I think that's
1: a, I think that's a Pochettino thing um, it's, it's smart, I like it
2: it's, it's using your head I mean, fouling has become quite an important part of the game. If you watch how Man City foul, they are the masters at it. They commit the most and, fouls. And Juventus
1: against us, Juventus in the yeah. Champions League second leg.
2: It's you slow the game down. You stop counter attacks. It's about smart fouls, not stupid fouls. It's um, it's not the whole thing of getting stuck in. It's like just tripping them when you when you can. Yeah. And doing it early in the move
1: as well before it kind of gets towards your goal and suddenly it becomes a big deal.
2: Yeah, for sure. And Casimiro is one of the masters at it. The way he's, at, he's the cleanest kind of hatchet man, he's almost a surgeon <laughs> when he plays for Real Madrid. It, it really winds me up when he's playing against a team that I support. But he's, he's brilliant at it.
1: OK, next one could be perceived as a negative. So only Crystal Palace, 482, were dispossessed more times than Tottenham, 461 in the 2017-18 Premier League season.
3: Uh, yeah, that's definitely a, a negative that I would twist to a positive in that that shows, as I referred to earlier with shots, that the players have the freedom to take the, to take risks and, and take players on and express themselves. And when you combine out how many times we are dispossessed with how greater share of the ball we have you see a team who are always trying to be doing things
2: yeah i think so I, I've, I i kind of agree with that i'm not sure how to read into it so i'm going to go along with with nathan's opinion i think a lot of our fans get frustrated with some of our f- f- flair players
1: for for giving a ball away um unnecessarily but the the kind of football we play means that you try low percentage things but in the right areas if you see what i mean so you're, you're not kind of looking for hollywood passes from um your your defensive third, but when you've got into those attacking areas, why not try things and and try and push defenders back? And actually, in doing so, you create nervousness in defenses, and you create a tendency to then try and defenders try and risk things themselves. So I think the the gradual build up of of that of trying things and and attempting to go round players can only en- end up helping um, as matches go on. So like Nathan says, I think it could be perceived as a positive. Okay, last one is. Tottenham, with 13.53, were the only Premier League side to complete more than 1,300 long balls in the 2017-18 season. However, Burnley, 83, created more chances from long balls than Spurs.
3: Yeah, once again, I think that this is a, a sign of our freedom to take risks and take chances even though we're a possession side we'd like to have the ball we're not afraid to look at where their space is and send the ball directly there um and that that ability to take risks for the dispossession for the long balls for the shots comes from our ability to press the opposition and and win the ball back having taken a risk and been unsuccessful i also think with this particular stat that there is sort of um a collusion of um Long balls that are literally laces through the ball up to the big man, nice high looping balls that are in the air for ten minutes, and also more sort of these precise laser-driven switches that our centre backs like to play to the opposite wing back.
2: Yeah, for sure. And also, if you've got a striker like Kane who's quite is quite happy to run into the channels and battle with the with the centre backs, and sometimes it can be a decent out ball. When we played Liverpool at home and we took them took them to pieces. It was pretty much hitting Kane early and that kind of broke Lovren, and nearly destroyed his career. So um I don't I've never had a problem with us sometimes bypassing the midfield press and hitting Kane early. I think we should probably do it a bit more because he's great with his back to goal.
1: I have a suspicion that as well as our centre backs playing diagonals, which they, they tend to be really good at and particularly out of world, obviously, who's one of the best passers in um from the back in the Premier League. I have a suspicion this might be a lot of Ericsson passes going side to side. So we end up having quite a lot of possession where we'll go side to side to side to try and drag a team out of shape. And Ericsson ends up playing quite a lot of diagonals himself from just outside the box to into the into the corners and channels. Um, so I suspect that accounts for a fair number of these. Also, Trippier is someone who likes to play a lot of long balls down the line for players to run onto. He doesn't like to carry the ball himself. He, he's... He's almost incapable of running with the ball, but what he's very good at is playing long balls for others to run onto.
2: Yeah, Sanchez has also shown he's quite adept at doing it as well. I, against Manchester United, it was his ball that I can't remember that was. It, I had I watched the game live there, and I haven't I haven't watched the replay again. But it was Sanchez. Was it set um, Trippier down the right wing or was it set Ericsson, Ericsson set Ericsson loose down the right wing with a beautiful long ball. So it's quite nice to see Ch- Sanchez adding that to his game as well. Cool. So we'll move on to some questions and
1: we'll start off with, um, I know Alan Gilzean from Twitter, who said, Not a criticism, as he's the absolute business, but do we think Harry Kane might attack the near post more often? Waiting in the middle or towards the back post isn't working out too bad for him, but in general, is attacking the near post a fading art in top level football? So we'll start off with Nathan. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this?
3: Uh... I mean, generally, his off-the-ball movement is the absolute business. Um, Yeah, he could add another move into his repertoire, um, such such as moving to the near post. And I don't think that that is um, a fading art in the top level. I think there's, um, (laughs) I mean, you're not going to like the example, but Giroud is a fantastic player at going to the near post and just sort of flicking it on to disguise it against the keeper.
2: Yeah, that is is true. I I think he's even scored a couple against us like that. Um, I had had a look back at Kane's 30 Premier League goals he scored this season and I was quite surprised at how many were actually near post goals. There was Everton, West Brom, um, Watford as well, where he got across the near post. I think it's because his back post headers have become so kind of iconic because they always tend to be against Arsenal, um, Crystal Palace and in kind of tight games. But he does do it as well. Um, he's not kind of like Icardi levels of attacking the near post, but he he does get his fair share. So I think it's I think it, we do kind of forget about that.
1: Bardi, check you out doing your research for the extra inch.
2: Well, well I, I'm I was, so proud of you right now. It was one of those Facebook videos. It popped up. Here you go. His Harry Kane's 30 goals, and I was eating breakfast, so it took a nice little 11 minutes to catch it don't, up. Don't don't ruin this. Don't ruin this for me. I was loving I was
1: that. <laughs> I, mean, oh, yeah. I, I, I think in in terms of um, Kane attacking or not attacking a near post, I think it often depends on who else is with him in the box and, and therefore what he needs to do. Um, and I think we have got players who do attack the near post well. I'd say Son, is very good at timing an attacking run to the near post. Uh, Lamella against Leicester showed his ability to arrive in the box and... Certainly, Walker-Peters and Lamella seem to develop a bit of a connection there. I think there were three passes that he found him within the box, or or nearly found him within the box. Um, so that there is potential there amongst a few of our players. I actually think we, we're not good enough at getting players into the box generally. So, other than Kane and Son and, and Lamella against Leicester, I think we have struggled at times to um,
2: have an extra body in there. Yeah, I think um, that's possibly down to Delhi because... Last season he was pretty much the second striker. Whereas this season he has been playing a little bit deeper. So, we, 100%. I think, yeah, I think we, we've lost that. He did kind of do those attacking runs. So we have lost a little bit there with Delhi. He's much more likely to be found hanging
1: about on the edge of the box these days than when he is attacking in the near post. Yeah, for sure. So next question is from Brian McPherson on Twitter. Uh, his at is Brian MacP. He says, "How do you see Murray fitting next year? Having had the benefit of a summer and a pre-season." Where and alongside whom does he fit best? Is a productive Mora redundant with, say, Zaha or Martial? We'll go to Bardi first in this one.
2: Well, first of all, we have to sign Zaha or Martial, and I, I, I'm i not sure that will happen. But um, I've quite like seeing... I mean, I don't think we've seen the best of more, so it's very hard to judge. But um, against Leicester, he showed some promise. Against Man City, he showed some promise. I think... I I think if we revert to a, a free up front like maybe into as an alternative to Ericsson I'm still not 100% sure where his best role is for us. Is he what you expected him to be when we signed him? He's um much less of a winger than I thought. I thought he would kind of naturally kind of head towards the byline, but um I've been quite surprised by how central he he wants the ball and how central he wants to play. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: I mean, I thought when he signed, I assumed he'd be a son rotation and that he'd be playing on the shoulder, but he seems more comfortable hanging back a little deeper and and picking up the ball and running with it from deep. Nathan, any thoughts?
3: Uh, Just on the last point, which is that... Is a uh, productive more redundant with Zahar or Marcelceello that makes me question why we are being linked with those players and why fans are especially keen for us to sign um, another attacking player, uh, especially another wide player when I feel like we have that
1: yeah, and I guess those two their main strength in both cases is isolating a defender and beating him, which is kind of what Moura's been doing in his cameos for us, and he seems to be pretty good at it. He's certainly got the pace to get away from players so. If we were, I mean, if that's the kind of player we wanted, we sign Moura. Why would we, like you say, why would we then go for a second player who's going to cost us 50, 60 million? It doesn't seem to make any
2: sense. But who knows what Poch is thinking. What I've liked from him is his the way he presses the ball. Um, he's really good in the tight space. He's not afraid to hit it. And he obviously has like bags of technic, technical skills. So um, I, I, think this could be, um, I think this could be a promising sign-in. And getting him early this year is probably a good thing instead of waiting for the summer. So he's, he really will come into, hopefully go into next season flying because he's been with us quite a while now. Yeah, he'll be on board
1: with the regime already, I'm sure, and, and kind of knowing what the expectations are from a um, from manager like Pochettino. Mm-hmm. So next one is for Nathan only, and it's from Nelson Saha on Twitter. who says, who would Nathan like to work for as a scout or analyst if Spurs was not an option?
3: Uh, Well, I went to uh, uni in Brighton and a lot of my mates are there and I love living there and I want to live there again. And I have some sort of um, empathy for the club as well. It'd be great to work with Chris Hewton. So, yeah, I'd I'd really like to work with Brighton.
1: Nice. That's not the answer I was expecting, but um, yeah, fair. So next question is from Newman THFC. Hello, Newman on Twitter. He says, in reality, what does a backup striker to Kane look like? He can't be too successful and he can't be too useless. So who does that look like? A hybrid striker slash winger, Buddy?
2: Yeah, I've been talking about this for a while. That I think our experiment in buying um, a replacement or an alternative or a second kind of second string cane has failed spectacularly in um, in Lorente and um, and Jansen So I think we do need to look for a more flexible option. Someone like Sun. On a personal level, I think I'd rather someone. I'd like someone a bit. Bigger in stature than Son, but um, definitely a player who will get minutes and can play with Kane or instead of Kane is my um, the kind of ideal pl- player. Or uh, a young striker who who doesn't mind playing second fiddle, but he has to be of um, he has to be of enough quality. That's the fear that we keep signing these second second rate strikers, and that's just a waste of time, waste of money. Do you go along with that, Nathan?
3: Uh, I, I would go harder down on on Sun. I think a backup striker to Kane is you know six foot tall, mid length hair. He's Korean. He's got a cheeky smile. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was going to get a run at uh, at centre half, at centre forward even uh, this season when Kane was out injured, and then he sort of rushed back for the Chelsea game. And I think he only got one game against Swansea. So i i would like to have, i'd like to have seen more of that this season. But I I'm happy, even though I haven't seen much of it to go into next season. With Sun as as the backup striker, I think we have enough general firepower and creativity in the team that we don't have to have, um, you know, a second Harry Kane in the team to get by.
2: So, uh, just a question for Nathan: Then, would you be happy to sell Lorente and keep our attacking players as they are, or would you, if we get rid of Lorente and we use Sun as the Kane alternative, you'd be happy not to sign another forward player? Yeah,
3: I mean, I think we have. So, if we have those six attacking players who are Kane, Ericsson, Delhi, Sun, Mora. Mm-hmm. I think that is enough attackers. There's, I'd say at maximum, there's only room for one more. And I would sooner we stuck with those six and gave more game time to Marcus Edwards or whoever.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can't really disagree with too much of that. I think Son did an adequate job. I think he's, an, he's a more than adequate centre-forward, but what I would say is that most of our success, or certainly our best football when Kane was missing, actually came when Lamella moved to false nine and Son went back out wide. And I do wonder if Lamella could do a Firmino-type false nine job there with the pace around him of, say let's say, Son and Moura alongside him either side. Um, there's something in that, and I, and I like the tactical flexibility that Pot showed there by making that change initially. Um, but having said that, when Son's played up front before, I think he's done a great job. He stretches defensive with, defenses with his pace. He's got a good general all round game. He could improve his back to goal play, but then you know who couldn't? Um,
2: and he's he's a decent size. Yeah, I think when we go into like our little kind of scouting where we all pick a possible signing, I, um, I think I'd be surprised if any of us actually do opt to say that we should sign a striker. Well, spoiler alert, Barley. Well, just so so we keep the 30% in, so they stay for it. (laughs) Okay, next question from Andrew Clark,
1: who is AP Clarkster on Twitter. Uh, Nathan thought that our problem playing City was mainly a stylistic clash. Do you see there being a way for Poch to adapt to playing them like he has against Liverpool? Start off with Nathan on that one as it's directed towards him.
3: Uh, Yeah, okay, just to um, explain my stance that it is a stylistic clash. I mentioned earlier when we were looking at the stats that we are a team who like to opt for control. We want to make the game ours. And we are very similar to City in that, who do the same things through very similar tools. And frankly, they are better at it than us. So I don't think we can, we, I don't think we can find success playing our A game against City. Um, I also don't think it's easy to find an alternative way to play. Um, I think that city will remain our hardest game for 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 the future. Do you think
1: that we could adapt a more counter-attacking approach akin to what we attempted against Dortmund? I mean, the Dortmund one for me. I'm talking about the Dortmund at home game, by the way. It's I'm still not fully convinced that that was our plan to play that way. Or my my impression was that we adapted mid-game to to what they were doing. And we just worked out a way to play against them. But it worked beautifully. And do you feel that's an approach we could use against City?
3: I think, yeah, I think that would be better than... Than how we set up before. I don't know if it's a perfect solution, but I think it would be. But I mean, I wrote two and a half thousand words for Football London on this brand new style that Pochettino wheeled out this season, and then as soon as the article came out, we stopped playing it. So I don't know, and it makes me go, oh, maybe we didn't try to play that movie, Maybe it was just a coincidence. So yeah, I, I've, I'm lost on that completely.
1: Because when when Liverpool played against City, it was not that at all. It wasn't this counter attacking. It was ultra aggressive. Actually, it was press high up the pitch and try and. Scare City into giving up the ball in in key areas, so they were robbing them in midfield, weren't they? That was the in, in in deep midfield. That was their key. That was the key, and we kind of don't really do that anymore. That's not our that's not our game since Poch has evolved.
3: Yeah, that that is the dream way to play against City, and it works for Liverpool. But it works for Liverpool because their entire club um, philosophy, to use that sort of twenty twelve terminology um is built around that play style and they are so good at it because they play that way week in week out because they play that way week in week out they struggle against some of the smaller teams so it's very hard to be a team who can play both like Spurs do and like Liverpool do I'm not Mm. sure that's possible Mm. um and I think that our way is better at the end of the day
0: Mm.
1: Bardi I think I remember you saying around the City game that we were in, in the first City game that we were unlucky. Is that right? Is, am I right but in yeah.
2: saying that? I think we we went toe to toe with them, and I did admire how we played in parts of it, but we we were a team that we we had um we had no Sanchez, we had no Alderweireld, and then we had um our fullbacks were badly exposed. Trippier had one of the worst games I think I've ever seen him play for Spurs. Uh, Sane tore him to shreds, and I just think we're not able to. Like Nathan says, we can't match them for ninety minutes player for player across the park. Eventually they will get the uh, get the better of us but um, I think I think the gap isn't insurmountable over one game. As Liverpool showed over 90 minutes you can get at City and you can beat them. But I don't know to be able to close that gap over the league campaign would be very difficult and I still think City will probably run away with the league again next year. Mm. It's difficult to argue against that.
0: JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Okay, next question is from Andy Perry, um Andy Perry 79 on Twitter. Are we now entering a phase where we are losing the identity that kick-started the Poch revolution by utilising fewer and fewer homegrown players? Is this the price of challenging the top clubs? Ah, he's preaching to the choir here. <laughs> Nathan, do you want to go
2: first? Uh, Why you go first, Windy. Go on, Windy. You've got um, quite a bit of an axe to ground against Pochettino in this, haven't you? I mean, I wouldn't go that far because I love him
1: and I love everything. Well, I love 90% of what he's done at Spurs, He's the best manager we've had in my lifetime. I love the way he handles himself with the media, but um, <laughs> I, 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 I saw, I do feel that in the last two years, certainly that he's not progressed some of our young players as I'd hoped, and I think he's sort of he's cost himself valuable squad players from doing that. So I would say Walker Peters could have been integrated two and a half years ago. And by now he could be a first team rotation, and we perhaps wouldn't have ni- needed to sign Aurier or, you know, had, had or, or, or or Trippier might not be required at, at this point. I don't know. Um, likewise, I think Onuma. I, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. Most people haven't seen the best of him, but in my opinion, Onuma is a really talented player, and I think he could have been integrated to a level where we wouldn't have needed to sign Sissoko, um, and he could have done a lot of the things that Sissoko did. And I think even just giving a few minutes here and there to some of our sort of 17 18 19 year olds just a few 10 minute cameos off the bench in, in cup games so we were well clear in in the Rochdale game at home we didn't have any young players in the bench to bring on it wasn't an opportunity had keenan bennett's been there had he been brought on for 15 minutes would we be in a position now where he's not Kind of made the decision to leave and go and join Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, I don't know if it would have changed things entirely, but I think those are the types of things that can influence young players. It certainly gives them um, a kind of, it can be me next view of things. Um, I, I mean, the common argument is that kind of, as Andy alluded to in his question, we're a better team now than we were four years ago, and therefore it's harder to break through. I'm not sure I fully buy that. I think that's slightly a cop out. I think also to expect a young player to be better than their first team positional rival in training is completely unrealistic, and that's not conducive with bringing through young players. If if you look at the way Kane was brought through, I mean, he had a reputation for being an absolute monster in training. Everyone said he was incessant. He he stayed after training to do extra work. He wanted he wouldn't leave um, the training ground until he was forced off it. And yet it took injuries and a huge loss of form for him to be give, finally given a chance. And yeah, he grabbed it with both hands. And there's an argument that, you know, especially in Onana's case, he hasn't done that. But if the opportunities are that difficult to come by, it doesn't bode well. I mean, Walker-Peters has played twice in the Premier League and been man of the match on two occasions. So the concept of him being a risk to me just doesn't stack up compared to Aurier, who, although I don't mind Aurier, I think he's got some good aspects. He has genuinely been a risk at times he's been quite he's been i would say quite poor at times and and reckless um so i don't know i think there's a there's work to be done with how we bring through young players and and the philosophy behind that and i think we might i'm 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 optimistic that there might be a slight change of impro- of approach in that respect in the summer there we go i've i've said my piece nathan you you go for it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would pretty much check what you said. I, yeah, definitely when you look at it on a larger scale, it's easy to say, um, you know, we're playing at too high a level to bring through kids. But then when you look at it individually, how much worse is Kyle Walker-Peters than Serge Ria, who gave away, what, three, four penalties and picked up a couple of reds? So, um, yeah, I think, granularly, there's definitely room for improvement. Uh, and I'd also say... Um, Man United thought that they were too good to bring Pogba through, and Barcelona thought they were too good to bring um, Thiago Alcantara through. So, you know, don't make those mistakes.
1: Bardi, I'm interested to get your your thoughts on this because I, I suspect that you
2: might differ somewhat. No, I mean the way our um, first um, our first eleven took the cup competitions. I mean, we made it to the semi final of the FA Cup, but we made a proper dog's, dogs dinner of it. And um, I don't think our first team players really shone at all in that competition. So we would have probably been better off giving minutes to, to um, youth players there. And I, I do agree with what you say about um, Aurier and Carl Walker-Peters and stuff like that. Um, I've been, the two games he's played, I've been impressed with him. I wish he had got more game time, but I can also see why Pochettino decided to go for the 23 million pound Ivory Coast international PSG player when he needed an alternative at right back. I can see why he did that. But it would have been nice to see some more of the youngsters in the League Cup and FA Cup. I think also, you know, we we sign players who
1: have, have had opportunity and are, are therefore a, a year or two ahead of our young players. and And that's fine to a degree. But I think we need to get used to the concept of just because they've had some games, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're more polished or more ready. And especially if they're coming from a, a, a foreign league that's not like the Premier League. Some some players will just take to it, others won't. And there's a there's a risk in playing signings as well as there's a risk in playing young players. I mean, the other point to, to make is that I don't expect all of our young players to go into the first-team squad and to stay there and to cement their position. That's That's completely unrealistic. But what I would say is that if you give them fifteen minutes here, thirty minutes there, gradually bring them in so that they're, they're they're playing on rotation in cups, that kind of thing, you're adding value to them. You're 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 benefiting the club from a business perspective. You can then go on and do like we've done with Townsend, Mason, Livermore, Colker, you can sell for huge profits if they're ultimately not what we need to be um filling our squad with, then, then go and sell them having built their value up and, and given them some, some real value. Having said that I mean, our youngsters are at a level now where they're highly, you know, they they are a very impressive bunch of young players and all of them could do a job as as squad players. Um, I'm not saying I'd want them in the team every week, but to to fit out the squad, they're absolutely fine. They're certainly better than the Nkudu level. And I would much rather us attempt to bring through a young winger than to, to persist with Nkudu or someone like that. Anyway, I'll get off my hobby horse now. Um, and like I said I hope for some I hope optimistically to see some uh, slight change in policy next year with regard to our young players next question is from Jean-René uh, Bergevin Marion I apologise if I butchered that uh, is it possible to elevate our standards of football style of play like City did this season with or without the addition of world class players Nathan
3: uh, I think we are already dramatically overperforming our budget Where. um sixth by a distance on the amount of money that we can spend in the league and we're already doing so well I don't think that there is another step up we can take there are um, marginal gains we can make in recruitment in bringing through young players in slightly tweaking this tactical approach in adding this slight thing in gelling this player in but I don't think that we can go up another level I think we have to just be really happy with how well we're doing so far
2: do you agree with that, Bardi? Yeah, I said in the fine cock um, last last week that I think this squad is tapped out. I don't think we can squeeze any more out of the players we've got. Pochettino's done an amazing job by making Davies and Trippier like effective fullbacks, but I think if we're really going to push on, we need to upgrade in certain areas: fullbacks and midfield. Yeah, I think broadly, Poch has already done the making us more than the
1: sum of its parts thing and that can only get you so far particularly when you're potentially losing players like Dembele in the summer who can who can elevate a team um, so yeah I think like you say we're going to need quality uh, it's as simple as that. Next one is from Natural Response on Reddit, he says In Brave New World, Pochettino mentions his belief that he thinks Eric Dyer's best position is ultimately at centre-back and that he has
2: potential to be the best in the league at that position What are your thoughts? Bardi? Um, I think it's been a funny season for Dyer. I think it started badly. He was moved around a bit. I don't think he really settled. And it hasn't been a stellar season from him. I don't think he is the future in midfield. But then I've seen worrying signs of him as centre-back. He, he looked bad against Man United away. And he didn't look too good against Leicester in the last game of the season. But I, I guess that was their last game of the season. I'm not sure what's happening with Eric Dier. For the first time, I'm starting to question him. And whether or not he is that kind of top level player he's a ex, he's a very good player but i I'm, I'm starting to have doubts in him. Do you go along with that, Nath?
3: uh i well, I want to address the the center back question uh, the question asked uh, we didn't include the bit that he says, but he says um you know potentially Pottschino has changed his mind um I used to think that Eric Dyer was ultimately a center back, and I've probably changed my mind since um at least i think that's the case at tottenham maybe um at another club he would eventually end up at centre half but i feel like particularly to the way we play um you can get away with a 6 out of 10 performance in midfield for tottenham but if you do that at the back there are pretty uh, dire sorry excuse the pun mm-hmm. consequences um for doing that and that uh, because he is prone to turning in those sort of occasionally low performances it's just not going to work out. I don't think he has the technical level quite.
1: Yeah, I, I was kind of disappointed in the season that we've just had that his passing didn't come on a little more because I saw glimpses in the previous year of him having a kind of vision of, of, of spotting passes from deep and picking out players on rushing to the box. And he's done it a couple of times, but it's really not been a facet of his game this year. He's really kept it simple with the ball at his feet. Um, I'm not convinced about him at centre back I think he can be a little slow on the turn and a little error prone and he probably gets away with being a bit less nimble in midfield because he can kind of sit and hold and, and do a job there knowing that he's got a back line behind him to mop up if something goes wrong um, I'm not sure if he can get away with that at, at centre back where he's a bit more exposed maybe in a three maybe it's not so much of a problem in a three um, I think it remains to be seen what his best position is I tend to think he'll stay in midfield now um, in terms of him not being elite level, I think he's not elite level, I don't think he needs to be, I think he's adequate because of his versatility and his mentality, he certainly gets what Poch wants um, and you know he's he, he's so injury free, he's so reliable in that respect, like you say he's a 6 out of 10 every week player, sometimes you get more, you very rarely get less and I think that's absolutely fine. Yeah,
2: I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling him out, but he, there is the kind of Jake Livermore's about him that he's gonna, end he's gonna, he's gonna end up in a mid, in a mid-table team, shuffling about, passing the ball, keeping things tidy. I just, I just think if we're now looking to like build, and we talked about players who are tapped out and what's coming next, I think we need a player with a slightly higher ceiling. I think when they're fit and they're on form, Dyer. I mean. When, Wanyama and Dembélé are better midfielders than, than him. I think Winks, who I've been quite critical of the past, I think we've missed him. A, we've missed him a lot, and without him being there, kind of Dia has been exposed. But then again, Dia does kind of embody everything that Pochettino is. He's he's almost like the standard bearer of what to expect from a Pochettino team. So there is benefits of keeping him, but I just don't think we can really aim to go places with him as kind of our fulcrum in midfield. The next question kind
1: of tags onto this discussion a little. It's from Lord of Doors on Reddit. He says, "I remember Nathan saying that he thought that our three at the back system was there to stay." Bringing up how quickly we built up from the back in the system, do you think the three four three slash three five two is how we go forward next season? And so similar question, also sorry from Natty B.
3: Yeah, so uh, one of the main reasons that I think that three at the back is our best formation and i do stand by that idea um but a large part of the reason that we did start playing it i think was because of wanyama um and if wanyama is for whatever reason leaving the club or is going to struggle with injuries going forwards then that that need to play it is gone there's still i think a desire to play it i think that it's still um is our best shape, but it's maybe not the best use of the available squads because of how many centre backs we have available at a certain time and how many attacking players we have available at a certain time and what, what kind of fullback we're playing. Mm. So, to not give an answer at all, I, I think for at least the mid future, um, we're going to continue to swap them about based on who's available.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of what we do next year will depend on who we end up signing. I mean, it's, it's nice to have the versatility. This season, like we said, we've moved back to four-two-three-one as a default. And I think that's mainly been due to, like Bardi said, Alderweireld being injured and, and then Wanyama subsequently being injured as well. Um, we've also got the issue, and, and Mark Lynch points this out in his question, with Dembele likely to go, central midfield becomes more and more of a concern. What do you think, Bardi? What do you, what do you think next season's looking like tactics-wise for us?
2: Um, I think a lot of it will depend on the ins and outs with if Rose stays um, what we do in centre midfield I've always been a fan of three at the back um, I think that's where we've we played our best stuff but I think a lot of it would depend on our transfer on our transfer business I just think it's not doable without top quality wing
1: backs and we just we don't have those in, in Trippier and Davies they're much better at full back and, and having a winger ahead of them yeah. um, OK so we're gonna, like Bardi spoiled earlier. We're gonna talk about, uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk about one player that we we may have scouted in, in preparation for this, and to help us along with that, we've got a question from Chris Campbell, who is bulk underscore nasty on Twitter. He said, "Is there a type of player that you feel this squad is crying out for?" We're gonna look at their role, how they'd fit, and, and who they might replace. So, Nathan, why don't you go first on this one?
3: Uh, I've got to pick a player. Um, well, I'll go for, uh, DeLict, who is sent half He was mentioned on the podcast before, um, when you had Priya on and I wasn't there. Um, but just to go over him, because it does look like we seem to be fairly close or at least interested in, based on what's written in the papers. Um, he is as close to a young Toby out of world as you can reasonably achieve. I still think that that's a dramatic downgrade, um, but it may well still be the best possible option if you accept that it uh, has to go. He is um, a very technical player. He's a right footer, but he has often played on the left side of the fence. Um, his defensive partner at Ajax this season has been Frankie de Jong, who is essentially... Um, an Eric Dyer like figure in reverse in that he is a midfielder who plays at the back and carries the ball forwards, often leaving DeLict on his own to be the lone centre half, and yet he um still keeps him together at the back pretty well. Um yeah, he's he's a remarkable young centre half. I'm excited by him, whether he comes to Spurs or not.
1: There's a lot to be excited about with De Ligt. It's going to be a lot of money if we get him um, and the pressure will be on. But we've seen Sanchez live up to it. So let's hope De Ligt can if we get him. Bardi, who's your, who's your scouted
2: player? Um, well, originally I was going to go for um, Federico Chiesa. But then I, as I've been thinking about it and as the kind of themes popped up, forward players is not really where we need to go. So I'm going to go for a player that we've mentioned quite a few times and I think Nathan's written about him as well. But it's Sergei Milinkovic-Savage, who um, this week, well a couple of days ago interestingly enough, Lazio kind of messed up the opportunity to qualify for the Champions League in their last game of the season. So all of a sudden you've got this outstanding footballer who doesn't have Champions League football now. So I think he's definitely going to be on the radar of pretty much everybody um, he's a player that's um, come through the kind of the Genk um, factory of players where Leon Bailey, Indidi, Koulibaly and Napoli have come through. So he's, he's, of, he's of good stock, you could call it. Um, he'd be at the World Cup playing for Serbia, so you can keep an eye on him. But he's pretty much, um, he, well, he's a, he's a giant of a midfielder. If you think of someone like physically imposing like Etienne Kapo, but can actually move about the pitch, can pass and can shoot. I mean, we've... Been, you've, we've got used to Dembele, who um, takes the ball, passes, um, dribbles through a man, keeps possession, breaks the press, breaks the press, and then passes the ball on. Savic isn't that kind of player, and I think what we need to do is we need to move away from thinking Dembele replacement, like like for like, because I don't think there are many players in the world quite like Dembele. So I think we need to change our mindset there of where we're going, and I think Milinkovic-Savic is a player that we should be looking at. He'll be expensive, but at the moment in football, who isn't expensive? He's um, six foot three. He's an amazing presence in the air, amazing presence on the pitch. If you kind of think like um, Pogba kind of levels, but um, without, he doesn't quite have the technical flair or the kind of panache that um, Pogba has. He scored 12 goals this season in Serie A and He was one of the most creative players in a Lazio team that scored an amazing 89 goals. Um, We've seen that Tottenham like to lose the ball quite often and Savage does do that, but that's also kind of how he plays and where he tries to get involved. He's not the kind of um, complete centre midfielder that we're going to sign and and he's going to immediately be world class. I don't think us as a club can actually go out there and buy these kind of ready-made, out-of-the-box solutions He's definitely a project that we've got to work on, but he's going to be a project that's going to cost quite a lot of money. But I think for him as a person and as a footballer, it makes sense to come to a club like Tottenham now because I think eventually maybe his future lies at um, maybe a Real Madrid or something like that. But I think the step now from Lazio to a top, top elite team is probably a bit too far for him. So I think for us, for him, I think it would be a logical choice to come to us. It's just a question of whether or not we're going to spend the money. But he's an amazing, imposing right footing midfielder who can shoot, header, dribble, and pass. Do you think he's uh, Do you think he's
1: gettable? I've seen so many big teams linked with him. I just wonder if he's outside of our our, our price range and whether whether he'll end up going somewhere.
2: I mean, bigger we spent, where he'll pay him, get more money. I I don't know, but we spent forty two million pounds on a defender, so I I think the game's changed. You know. I won't be surprised if we go over the 50 million mark. Whether or not he's a possibility, I don't know, Wendy. we got to see. I think Tottenham will nail their intent to like the mask. They're going to do something big this summer. I don't know whether this is just me kind of hoping, but I really do think we've got one big, big sign in, in us. And I would like to see us at least have a good old try at signing this guy. Because if you look around the Premier League, for example... I don't really see a home for him anywhere else. Man United, Man City, I don't, I don't see a place for him. And then it's a question of whether big German teams or someone in Spain go for him. And just looking at it, maybe I've got Spurs tinted glasses on, but I just think I see a home for him at Tottenham. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: I do like the idea. I'm pretty sold on him after everything you just said. Um, you mentioned that he's playing for Serbia in the World Cup and he'll be playing in the same team as uh Exper's player Milos Velkovic and I so I so nearly gave a troll answer to this question and said and I and, and went on about Velkovic but um I decided I shouldn't do that. Actually um it's sort of in terms of Chris Campbell's question the type of player I think the squad's crying out for is another Ericsson. I think we need someone who's got that type of technique, cunning and creative vision but and, and and along those lines, I thought um, Wolves' central midfielder Ruben Nevers might have ticked a lot of those boxes. He plays a lot deeper than Eriksen, but um, he's a hugely talented player who I rate highly. He's got an incredible passing range. But given our situation with Dembele and the fact that he's probably leaving and and possibly the fact that Wanyama might go as well, there have been rumours of us listening to offers for him and he certainly didn't re really his form this season. I do think it's more important... For this summer, that we sign a central midfielder, like Bardi says. This week, we've been linked with a 21 year old Yves Bissouma of Lille, who's from Mali, and he's been linked with some other big clubs. So, Monaco and Schalke are both looking at him apparently to replace Fabinho and um, Goretzka, respectively. And Spurs seem to have been training him for quite a while. Lyle Thomas from Sky reported our interest in December and he claimed that we've been watching him all season. And I was reading up on him, and back at the beginning of May, Andrew Gibney wrote an article on him for Football Whispers in which he says Ranking central midfielders in League One, only Leon's Tanguy and D- Undombele, who Nathan's mentioned before, come to think of it, completes more successful take ons, and he's been one of the most impressive performances for, uh, for Lille this term. Uh, Basuma ranks 11th for forward passes and 8th in making interceptions. I've watched clips of Basuma, having not seen him in a match, and there's a lot to like with him but I can't help having watched him think basically uh, a hot take equation is Josh Onema plus Opportunity equals Eve Bissouma. So the man I've actually selected is Abdullai Dekouré of Watford. There's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, I really like the fact that he's already established in the Premier League. There's no growing pains. There's no big um, adaptation where he needs to get used to the pace of the game because he knows all about it. But also... He won possession in the midfield third more times than any other player in Europe's top five leagues this season, which is incredibly impressive and very Tottenham. His passing is not quite uh, Dembele-like, so he's, he's not safe for passer. His, his use of the ball is nowhere near as safe. Um, he won't complete as many passes. That could definitely be improved upon. But his goals and assists are miles up on Dembele. He's... A much more expansive player who arrives in the box more. And we spoke earlier about um, players, or I spoke earlier, about players not getting to the box so much. He's someone that can. He strikes the ball really well. He's got a good eye for goal. Um, at Watford, perhaps it's not difficult, but he was top for passes per game of all Watford players. And his pass success rate was secondary to, to um, Roberto Pereira. He was top four. Goals, chances, creative, passes, successful passes, touches, tackles, interceptions, distance covered and sprints for Watford. So it's easy to see how influential he was. Um, He's a massive player for them. I think he could be a a good signing for any of the top four or five clubs in in Premier League. I think he will leave this this summer. He's going to go for big money and I really like him. Another shout would be Wilford Ndidi of Leicester, who's 21. He's like a mini Kante in, in his style. He's a tigerish little player who tackles all day long. Um, I really like him also. I think he'd cost an absolute fortune. Um, they aren't obliged to to sell players. Um, they could ask for a lot. Um, but those are the types of players, I think, with Dembele looking likely to lead that we'll, we'll need. Having said all this, I do think there's a big place for Winks next year. I think he had a poor season this season in terms of injury, but also his form when he was on the pitch at times was not up to it. Um he started so well in those matches against Real Madrid, he tailed off. But I've got full confidence that he'll get back to his, his previous form. I really like Winks. I think alongside uh, Adair or Wanyama, he's more inadequate. I think he does a lot of things that a lot of our other midfielders don't, and I'm still hopeful on him. There we go. I feel like I've been talking for the last five minutes.
2: No, I, I quite like Ndidi. I like the way he gets across the pitch. I, I don't know what he's like passing the ball... I don't know what his passing range is like. Decoro, we had a good look at him when Watford came to Wembley a few weeks ago, and he looks okay. But I just, I just think we need so. I, I think we need something a little bit special in there at the moment. That's fair. I think there are other
1: positions that we're going to have to fill as well. I mean, it sounds like this is going to be a summer of transition. There's lots of um, rumored outgoing, shall we say. Um, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on it. Okay, let's do our further reading. So. If you're new to the podcast, uh, we each give a, a book, an article or a podcast. to, uh, we, we recommend it for, for listeners who might find interest there. So we'll start off with Nathan.
3: OK, so uh, if you have been listening to this podcast for two seasons now, you are probably into tactics, if not open to the idea of them and... If you want to take it to the next level, then there's only really one place to go, and that is Spielverlagerung, which I've probably butchered. <laughs> it's a German uh, website where they do English articles as well, and they are um, the the standard bearer of, of tactical analysis.
1: I find that site almost impenetrable at times. I, That's fair. I, I really, really like reading their articles. But I come away feeling stupid. Also I'm always impressed by the fact that people are often writing in their second language and writes it eloquently. Um but yeah it's 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 not for the casual <laughs> It's not light reading.
3: No.
2: No. Like. Bardy, what are you going for? Um well after the kind of tragic and very spursy end to the season for Napoli, I only had really one place to turn to, and that was um reading the Maradona story once upon Once Upon a Time in Napoli. Um a book written by John Ludden. It um, chronicles the transfer from um, Barcelona to Napoli of Maradona and the kind of shenanigans off the field and everything that he went through on the pitch and darker days and then happy days for Napoli, especially because we, we are now seeing the end of this great Napoli team. This amazing group of entertainers going to get completely, their bones are going to get picked dry this summer. So it's been a very sad end to the Serie A season, if it, even though it has been quite interesting. I just didn't see that coming. Um, I'm going to go what, for... What? Did you, what that, I, that I went for something Italian? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're so
1: predictable. You're so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to go safe as well. And I'm going to say um, the last episode of the season of The Fighting Cock, which as a listener, because I've been a listener for a lot of the season and not a participant because I've been so absent, um, it was an absolute joy to listen to. Um, Ricky was back. And was absolutely hilarious uh, and the triumphant return of bardi's brain butters was the highlight um so if you've not listened to season seven episode sixty seven shoes falling out the loft, then do because it's brilliant um okay i think we I think we're done guys how How's the skype experiment been for you i found it I found it weird not seeing your um delightful faces and and also <laughs> it's been difficult for me because i am kind of used to working out through eye contact who's going to speak next, so I've been having to say, Barney, what do you think about this? And it's felt a little bit unnatural, but we've got there, right? Yeah, it's quite nice to do a podcast naked. <laughs> I'm in lounge pants. I'm very comfy. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, hopefully this Skype experiment's gone okay for everyone and the sound's not too bad because we're hoping to use it again to do some well-cut podcasts. Um, that will allow us to give some kind of fairly instant reactions on, on World Cup matches uh, as the tournament progresses and will hopefully be of interest to listeners over the summer um, in the absence of Spurs. So li- look out on Twitter and Facebook for information about um, Skype World Cup podcasts from The Extra Inch. Bardi can be found on Twitter at Bardi TFC and Nathan at Nathan A. Clark. I'm Wendy Coys. Thank you, gentlemen, for a lovely evening's chat. Nice one, Wendy. Thank you.
3: I was certain you were going to do that. Scores of common. You Spurs after you said your name there. <laughs> oh God! I should have done, shouldn't I?
1: No, I can't. I can't. It's too late now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listeners, uh, for bearing with us, and we'll be back soon with World Cup pods and back with more Spurs chat next season. It's
2: the fight in. It's the fight in.